Hello and welcome to this week's Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Tharwa Bulifi, a young Tunisian writer who, when she's not studying for a medical degree, finds time to write for the Arab Digest newsletter. Tharwa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, listen, your Twitter bio reads, Tunisian freelancer, during the day I'm a boring student, a writer all the time, forever trying to keep a childlike spirit, constantly resisting. I'm going to get to the boring student part in a bit, but I want to ask you, first of all, about writing. You're first published at age of 15, and your work has appeared in Teen Vogue, Horizons, African Motion, The New Arab, Newsweek, and I'm very pleased to say right here in the Arab Digest newsletter. How old were you when you decided, okay, I'm a writer? So um, I actually started writing much earlier than 15. I began at eight years old. Um, I used to participate in short stories contests for children, which were organized by public libraries. And um, well, I used to rewrite my favorite books and um, wrote plays inspired by my favorite cartoons. Um, so uh, as a tween, I started writing in English, which is my third language. And um, the different activities in the American Cultural Center affiliated with the Amidist Institute uh, helped me practice and improve my writing skills. So um, in the summer of my uh, 15th birthday, it was the beginning of the holidays, and I already felt bored. And as usual, I sought refuge in writing. However, um, this summer, I felt that I was ready to take the next step and move forward with my writing. I wanted to get published on the internet and by an online publication. And fortunately, since we uh, barely have opportunities for publication in English for teens in, in my country, Tunisia, well, my mother suggested and encouraged me to contact foreign English-speaking websites. And that's what I did. I reached out to many, many online publications with an article proposal, as I used to refer to it back then, and since I didn't know um, the word pitch. And um, honestly, I didn't expect to hear back from any of those I emailed. So it was a big surprise when, when I received a reply from a feminist American publication for um, teenage girls, which was um, Women's E-News. And I received my first assignment. So between the uh, first draft submission and the different rounds of edits, it took a whole month to get my first reported piece published. Um, well, seeing my first byline on the net is still one of the most exhilarating moments of my life. I learned very much uh, from writing for um, that publication and especially from the first editor I worked with, Katina Perrin. As she mentored me, taught me the basics of journalism and inspired me with her passion. She made me fall in love even more with writing. Uh, in the following years, I kept writing and um, explored other publications. However, my uh, insecurities regarding my writing were the biggest obstacle in my writing journey. I was very young. English was my third language, and the place I come from, being an African and an Arab, made me feel less confident about uh, my ideas. Well, still, I kept pitching whatever ideas comes to my mind. At the same time, I received much support from my high school English teacher, 
as well as um, the first editor I worked with and whom I mentioned, uh, Katina, who uh, told me that I have what it takes to succeed in writing. In 2018 and 2019, I wrote less. I was dealing with health issues and had to focus on high school diploma and college applications. But then in 2020-2021, um, I took a gap year and was able to focus exclusively on writing. What sort of topics? I um, tried writing on new topics like politics and uh, dive deeper into personal essays. So this gap year made me rediscover the thrill of writing and the joy of having words flow from my mind to my laptop's keyboard. You're describing a wonderful, I mean, a wonderful journey for a writer that you had the good fortune to find a very good editor in that first project you worked upon. And then you had support from a very good English teacher, but also you had your own determination and your own energy. And I'm, I find that very impressive too. Thank you. Um, so it was um, finally at 20 years old after five years of publishing my first article that I said, well, I'm a writer after all. Um, well, although my confidence regarding my writing improved drastically, the imposter syndrome is still here. I mean, I see it more as a boost to always give 100% uh, when it comes to writing. So that, my journey that, that imposter syndrome you're talking about, is that because you're, you're, you're so young still? Is it because you feel that, you know, there is an attitude towards Arab writers? What is, what is the basis of that, you think? So first of all, I mean, uh, I mean, I mentioned my age uh, whenever I sent a pitch, and um, many of, uh, of, I mean, older journalists told me to not do it. Although I, I mean, I, I mention it just because, I mean, to say that um, I have a young, fresh perspective on what's happening in my country. Uh, so yes, there is this um, this insecurity about me being too young, too inexperienced, and there is also, um, in, although I'm fluent in English, and um, I'm still insecure about English being my third language. And of course, the disinterest that my ideas may bring, because I mean, I come from Africa. This is not the, I mean, this is not what most or many foreign publications focus on they focus more on the west on the on europe on the states so so i mean uh, i felt that uh, i always had to to do double the efforts to prove that my idea is worthwhile that it's interesting mm -hmm. yeah now i want to ask you this uh you read about women's rights the lgbtq plus community politics um, you mentioned culture now this is a question i asked of Elias jashan on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. And I'm going to ask the same question to you. Uh, Elias edited a wonderful uh, anthology called This Arab is Queer. And I asked him about the power of the written word. How effective is it in confronting directly or subversively repression and intolerance? Can the written word rebut hard force? What do you think? So words being the softest weapons for change was the first lesson that not only I, but all Tunisians learned through the, the revolution. Our revolution was a peaceful one. People protested peacefully out in the streets. Uh, aside from police brutality, there wasn't much violence from the demonstrators. So it was like a, a smooth transition from the uh, Benali era to the post-Benali era. I mean, it's like it didn't happen. 
Um, so I think that activists who militated against Ben Ali's dictatorship, such as the late Lina Ben Mahni, uh, an internet blogger and activist, and who was also nominated for a Nobel, a Nobel Peace Prize in 2011 for um, her peaceful protests and blog, inspired me to to use words as a as a mean to change and um, and confront uh, intolerance and repression. Uh, being a child back in back when the revolution happened, I frequently heard many words such as freedom, the people want, freedom of speech, justice, etc. At 10, I didn't fully understand what these words meant. However, I think they had a great impact on my subconscious mind and were the implicit, implicit motivation for me to get published on the net. So um, at 15, after five years of the revolution, expressing my thoughts through words, given my opinion through writing, felt like a natural need for me. Mm-hmm. I like that thought, uh, Tarawa, that uh, words are the softest weapon, but they are a weapon. Yes. <laughs> you mentioned that you were very young when the revolution happened. What What are your memories? You, Spoke about hearing the words, you know, freedom and justice. What, what was going on in in your neighborhood? What was your family's reaction? What was the sense of it? Was there excitement brewing? Could you feel something even at that young age that was there was change coming? Um, so um, I feel nostalgia when whenever I think about late twenty ten, early twenty eleven. Uh, for the nine year old me back then and my seven year old brother, suspension of classes was the most exciting part of it. <laughs> I remember my parents staying up all night, nervously watching the news. My uh, father also bought many basic foodstuffs so we won't have to go out because it wasn't safe. I remember too that my parents put all the heavy furniture in front of our frontal door out of fear of someone breaking in. As for me, watching the massive, the massive protest on TV and people getting wounded by snipers, I felt a bit scared and thought that we were having a war. One of the most heartwarming memories I keep from um, January January 2011 is young people from my neighborhood, or young men rather, staying up all night to guard our neighborhood against those who took advantage of the country's instability to rob houses. Older people would give them food and coffee, and um, the solidarity we had didn't only um, uh, wasn't only in my neighborhood, but uh, in all others too. Uh, it made me uh, feel safer and uh, less scared of what was coming next. Did um, your Did your parents talk to you about what was going on? Did they try to reassure you? What did they say to you? So uh, I think that my, uh, my my parents were on edge whenever me or my brother would ask them what was happening, and uh, they I mean they were literally following the news twenty four seven. Um, they didn't sleep, and I especially during the um, the second week of, of January. And um, I think that back then they didn't fully understand what was going on or at least what will, what will happen next. So they couldn't provide us with a convincing answer or even with any, any form of answer. So they just told us to go away, to go play, to... Yeah, I think that's what I would do with my kids in that similar, very similar situation. <laughs> But what a time, because Tunisia started the Arab Spring, didn't it? 
Yes, um, I, I think that um, getting back to school is the more interesting part um, of my memories. Because yeah. um, my peers and I who were in fourth grade were discussing what happened. Of course, from the perspective, from our perspective as kids. I mean, I doubt any of us fully understood anything back then. However, we all felt something changed. We kept repeating things we saw in the news about Benali's wealth and how much money he robbed. And of course, with words we heard from our parents and media. I um, remember very well that we all kept repeating the slogans we heard protesters say during the protests. The people want, Benali fled the country, as well as singing the um, chants praising the revolution. Uh, I think, um, I mean, to sum up all this, the revolution in 2010 or 2011 gave everyone a beacon of hope. Our parents felt optimistic about our future. And um, we children felt reassured by our parents' enthusiasm. Yeah, yeah. And now we are in this situation. The current president, Kais Saeed, when he was first elected, he had huge support among young Tunisians, including, I think, yourself. Why was that? Um, after a decade of disappointments with political parties and their candidates for the presidency, uh, Saeed embodied um, the fantasy many Tunisians had about a president. He was unaffiliated with a political party. He was a middle-class citizen, a, a candidate who was largely supported by young people who organized his political campaign, as well as being a, um, a teacher assistant in constitutional law. So Syed made me and other young people dream. And um, his words gave us much hope for a better future. It was, it was the first elections um, I got to vote in, and I was very excited. It was my first time of, um, of, of assuming my sovereignty as a, as a citizen. So um, I was paying attention um, to, do, to make the right choice and to choose wisely. Because, I mean, I, I thought back then that I couldn't, I mean, that my vote would change my country for, for the better or for the worse. I mean, more objectively, I think that back then we didn't have a better alternative. It was either Islamists or the Syrians who were affiliated with Ben Ali or Nabil Qarwi, who was a corrupted businessman. Back then, I considered Syed the, the best of the worst. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting that he kind of embodied this dream about the revolution at a point where the revolution was, was really starting to come unstuck. Yes, uh, that is uh, true. And um, I uh, think that, I mean, everyone, I, I mean, especially young people, we needed to dream. We needed someone who, who, who reassured us and uh, in whom we saw someone who can leave the country and uh, make better choices than, his, uh, than the ones who came before him. Mm. And yet now uh, we see Tunisian democracy it looks to be receding almost daily. What do you feel about that dream and, and how you can see it visibly just vanishing as he tightens his autocratic control and becomes, in effect, another dictator. 
Well, I think in such a difficult social and economic context, um, well, besides still manipulating many Tunisians through a dictator's classic methods, such as demonizing his political opponents, igniting a huge yet temporary popular craze with arbitrary arrests of other politicians and businessmen, and uh, spreading conspiracy theories about, uh, like the one he, he, he said, about uh, Saharan migrants in Tunisia being part of a post-2011 program to make Tunisia a purely African country without the Arab and Islamic affiliation. Well, many people, especially those from underprivileged backgrounds, feel, feel scared and desperate. Mm. And finding a scapegoat, whether it's through politicians or immigrants, can relieve their frustration. Yeah, it's a frightening thing that he said, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's very frightening. And um, I mean, <laughs> um, every time we, we think that he can't get any low, well, he gets slower. <laughs> Um, I mean, uh, as Tunisians, I know that it's hard to relativize things and seeing things objectively when when there is no food on your table and um, when you've been unemployed for 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 many years. But I think that as Tunisians, we shouldn't believe that Said has the invisible magic wound he pretends to have since the um, twenty nineteen elections. A magic wand. All he's doing is bluffing. And I think all that's left to do is resistance. We we should keep resisting under all forms, whether it's by protesting, um, writing, blogging, and especially keeping the media independent, something that um, Saeed um, doesn't want to have, an independent media. He's pressuring uh, journalists and um, arrested the um, director of a, of a prominent um, radio station in Tunisia, Mosaic FM, just to pressure the, uh, a controversial um, blogger and journalist uh, who, who have a radio show where they uh, keep criticizing sides. Mm. That's a classic move of a dictator, isn't it? It is, and... Um, he isn't being any creative or, uh, well, I think he's, uh, he's just drowning more and more. Mm. He, he doesn't know what to do anymore, so he just unleashes his violence. You know, your generation, Generation uh, Z, have I got that right? Generation Z, not Generation yeah. Z. <laughs> Tunisia's post-millennials. Is there now just a lack of enthusiasm, uh, disinterest in politics, the sense that, uh, you know, just why bother with it? What's the point? Is that is that the prevalent mood? Um, I think that on social media and among my friends and young people, I know. I notice a general disinterest, that's true, but um, different ways of showing it. So there are those who choose to be in denial and not talk about politics at all. However, the second group opted for sarcasm um, and cynicism which is something unusual for our age. And um, there are uh, a few others who are still explicitly resisting and calling out the president and um, his government. Um, I think that uh, my generation doesn't feel heard. Your generation doesn't feel heard. Boomers and um, older millennials are still dominating the political stage. So when it comes to activism too, it's also millennials who are given the most visibility. 
I guess that um, we Gen Z are still considered the children we were back in 2011. I mean, as a young Tunisian, and I think that um, many politicians should step down and let young people take over. They've had their chance and um, they live their time and they want to take our chance and, and live our time too. As for activism, I think that millennials should also give Gen Z a platform within their organizations to express themselves. I mean, after all, we're already the present and will be the future. Mm-hmm. Listen up to, to Gen Z. Um, I think that's a very good message to send out, Tarawa. Uh, now, look, I, I said I'd get to what you call the boring part. You're doing a degree in medicine. So why did you choose to become a doctor? So um, I, I choose to uh, become a doctor for uh, for many reasons. I mean, three main reasons. First of all, I always want to be an independent voice. I don't want to be pressured uh, by paying bills, by salary, um, to write to write things I'm not convinced of. I I simply can't do that. So having a, a steady income helps me keep my voice independent and not get pressured by anything, at least by financial reasons. As for um, the second reason, now um, having my father, who's also a doctor, and um, being with him when when he was working, I mean, he works in underprivileged rural areas. I saw him helping uh, his uh, underprivileged patients, whether by collecting uh, our old clothes or his um, nieces and nephews' clothes and handing them over um, to his patients or giving them free medicine. He inspired me to, um, to, to, to make a change in healthcare because I believe that healthcare, uh, healthcare success is, is the right of everyone, regardless of their um, income and regardless of their wealth. It also supports uh, my writings when it comes to social justice, that um, everyone um, has a right to access and affordable health care. As for the third reason, it's more of a personal one. At the age of 17, I was diagnosed with a neurodegenerative disease, and um, um, pursuing medical studies um, will allow me to, um, to do more research to, to, to develop other treatments alternative treatments with less side effects uh, and why not uh, no side effects uh, because it's uh, it's neurodegenerative diseases are um, getting more and more um, prominent uh, in uh, in our modern world especially with um, with the modernization of everything and um, and yes these these are my reasons those are all very strong reasons and uh you know once again i'm i'm in awe really of what of what you're doing and what you what you've accomplished and i know uh, as a young tunisian you must feel something of of the despair of of your generation gen z do you think there is a place for you in tunisia or, or do you feel you know like a lot of young tunisians there's nothing here for me i I can't see a future, which is a tragedy, of course, for your country, but also for your generation. So, I mean, it's not it's not only a dilemma for me, but it's a dilemma for my generation, actually. 
as I wrote uh, in one of my articles for the Arab Digest, I said that in hospitals, uh, me and my um, and my fellow medical students, as well as older medical students, uh, would discuss opportunities to go abroad, whether in France, Germany, or even the States. I mean, I I feel that I have a debt towards my country for everything that it has given me, whether it's rights, whether it's um, it's rights as a woman or um safe place to live in i I, honestly i haven't yet decided what to do because um i mean i I respect all those who sacrifice their youth for uh to militate for their country and uh, resist against dictators i mean it's 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 a huge sacrifice i admire very much their altruism i mean i I can understand those who who want to leave the country because, I mean, these are our best years. It's time that we will never get back. In the same time, I, I don't think that I don't think that we'll we'll find paradise, whether in Europe or the states. It just, I mean, uh, we would have preferred to stay home, but um, and serve our country. But uh, after all, we're we're the only one who can build it. It won't get better without us. But again, it's it's the question of whether to sacrifice um, your best years or not. I mean, I I still haven't made a decision yet. I mean, I will graduate in five years. I hope that until then, some things will change and will help me make a decision. Tarawa, you know, amongst many other very admirable qualities. I, I admire your honesty very much. And um, please keep writing, keep writing for us and keep writing for, for, for other outlets as well. Uh, um, you know, because it's about resilience and it's about hope and it's about the struggle and it is about honesty. And I uh, salute your, your courage and your honesty. And I thank you very much for this podcast. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was the 21-year-old Tunisian writer, Tarawa Bulifi. Since we launched our podcast less than three years ago, it's been listened to more than 120,000 times in countries right around the world. So a big thanks to all our listeners. And if you're a first-timer, check out our podcast library on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, or Amazon. I hope you're enjoying our podcasts, which we bring you with no advertising and no sponsors. We are a truly independent source for analysis and commentary on the Middle East and North Africa. You can support our independent voice through a donation. Details on how to do so at ArabDigest.org. When you go to our website, you can also find out about our daily newsletter and how to get a free trial. The newsletter features the very best of MENA analysts and writers like Tarawa. Check us out on ArabDigest.org and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading, essential listening from independent sources. Music